Montana. And I'm Samantha. And you're listening to Reefer Tales. And today we have a special episode. It's a joint one. Um, and I guess we're going to title this one Holiday Haunts. That that suits. That's, That's a good title. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll agree to that one. We didn't talk about it before, but all right, that works. Sorry, I had just like put it in my ADHD, <laughs> man. I'm telling you. It's going to be the death of me at some point. Uh, so today we each have brought a different story here for you that is based around, you guessed it, the holidays. Uh, but before we get started, me, Montana. What, what are we drinking? <laughs> we didn't really think that one through, did we? No. Well, you just kept talking. I know. <laughs> I just said you never stop. <laughs> Uh, so today we're drinking the Naughty Elf cocktail, and this, you'll understand why we're calling it this. <laughs> when we get to my story, Samantha is going to start us off today, but. I'm the brave one again. There we go. Yeah. Uh, lead by example, Samantha. Be a leader. I do. Every day of my life. Every <laughs> damn day. <laughs> so in the Naughty Elf, you're going to have two ounces of cranberry juice, one ounce of red grapefruit juice, one ounce of Sprite, one ounce of pomegranate liqueur, one dog in the background whining to go out, <laughs> even though he's going to want to come right back in, one ounce of orange liqueur, one ounce of spiced rum, ice cubes, and sprinkles for the glasses rim. This is optional. I didn't have sprinkles, or I did, but they're not unpacked. You're going to add a few ice cubes to a glass, mix the liqueur, cranberry juice, and grapefruit juice, and pour into the glass. Top with Sprite, garnish with candy cane. I didn't have a candy cane, but that would have been so cute. I know. Well, I had a candy cane, a like shot glass, but I was like, this. No, that's not going to work. I could dump the whole thing in my glass. <laughs> no, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. No. Anyway, so cheers. Cheers. Uh, that is really tasty. That is really tasty. I will be drinking that outside of this episode. I know, same. That'll be on the rotation. This is, mm. by the way, this this type of thing, the the hauntings thing, favorite part of the, part of the holiday season. Not gonna lie. Of course. <laughs> I had to let him out. I'm sorry. <laughs> he was just he was sitting there whining. He's just gonna come back to the door and want to come back in. Bless him. He can't make up his mind. Sounds like somebody else I know. Mm. A little cat you may know? Mm-hmm. A little bit. Yeah. Maybe. Cats in general. Oh. That's true. This door is shut. This door is never shut. This door <laughs> exactly. should never be shut. Why is this door shut? Did you know this door was shut? <laughs> oh. All yeah. right. So if we're ready to get started, Montana, are you ready to learn about, and this is German, a lot of this is German, so I am not going to pretend to know German, so my pronunciations are not going to be good, but I'm going to do the best I can, I promise. Wait, you're telling me you don't know German? No, I don't. Wow, Although that okay. would be kind of fun to learn, I think. But her name is Frau Perchta, and she's the terrifying Christmas witch slash the belly slitter. That's what my nephews call me. Uh, 
Maybe they're calling you her and they don't even know it. But that's a little scary. I don't even want to know why. We'll leave, we'll, we'll leave that. <laughs> I'll unpack it with my therapist later. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I had never heard of her. So I thought when I found her, I would share her story because it's actually quite interesting. Um, pretty much everything on this came from a blog um, that's germangirlinamerica.com. Her blog is really cool. So if you want to learn about any type of like German lore or, I mean, she's got all kinds of things on there. So feel free to look her up, read her blog. It's really cool. Um, There was an episode that was a, I think it was a podcast episode, but I just read through the article. I don't think it was like a transcript, but it's called uh, boneandsickle.blueberry.net. Um, but it was from back in 2019 and then com, And I did get a little bit of information from Wikipedia, um, mostly like the, actually pretty much everything was from the other articles. Um, so that was just kind of seconded from Wikipedia. Are you breaking down and telling me that you actually use Wikipedia? I used it to find the articles, honestly. <laughs> So then I can click on the articles and go to them and read them. But sure. for mine, I have like 12 different Wikipedia articles. <laughs> hey, I mean, sometimes it's useful. It, 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 you know, it is what it is. But I do try to, I do try to check my work. But this is about lore and legend. So a whole lot of this is going to be conjecture stories. It's not a lot of fact finding you're going to be able to do with this anyway. So just trying to gather all the information I can for you guys. So we've all heard the story of Santa. Less of us have heard of Krampus, maybe. But how many have heard of Frau Perchta? Because I hadn't until we decided to make Spooky Christmas. I only heard about it because you talked about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I feel like that's a little unfair because she definitely has her place. Frau Perchta is judgy like Santa and Krampus, but with her own little twist. She's said to wander during the 12 days between Christmas and Epiphany. She knows if the children and young staff have worked hard and been on their best behavior throughout the year. To those that did, as they should, she may just provide a shiny silver coin. Hang on. If- she sounds like me. Like, dead de- <laughs> For 12 days before Christmas, during the Christmas holiday. No, between just, Christmas and Epiphany. Okay. I just wander around. That's called seasonal depression. <laughs> uh, she's very judgmental. That's the Leo in me. True. And sometimes I give shiny coins to people. This is true. And you're a gift giver. So. I think I think we've, we've figured it out. Thing we're about to find out how you're not. If they have not done as they should, however, she may just come to your home, slit your belly open, and remove your gut, stuffing the hole with straw and stones. I'm pleading the fez on anything. (laughs) And if this isn't enough, she's also going to stomp the unfinished work with her deformed goose foot. Okay, I don't have a goose foot. (laughs) I saved that for the last to see what you would say. (laughs) But it would would be the best for me to have a goose foot. (laughs) Because I'm terrified of geese. Oh, it would. You're right. It would explain why you're so mad. That's for sure. 
It was especially important that girls had spun the correct allotted amount of flax or wool during the year as well. Now, in case you were thinking, easy enough, I'll just be good, work hard, and spin my flax. But that's not all. She'll also disembowel a person and stuff them with straw if they ate something other than the traditional meal of fish gruel on the night of her feast day. Sounds reasonable. Exactly. I don't see the problem. It's pretty easy to follow the rules. So at least now you can't say that you haven't been warmed. Be good, work hard, spin your flax, and for goodness sake, only eat your traditional meal, a fish gruel, on the night of her feast day. And make sure you also leave out a bowl and there's enough in it for Frau Perchta because she's going to stop by and try it and make sure it tastes good. But where where is the cutoff point for this? Like, how <laughs> is there, can you eat too much of it? Can you, if you eat too little, because you want to leave her enough, is she going to be offended if you leave her too much? Is she going to be like, they think I'm a, a, a big witch? Like, like, where, is there a measuring cup? This wasn't explained to me. I think it's kind of ambiguous on person. Yeah, I mean, I mean, on purpose, just to keep you on your, on your toes. Just oh, great. Well, I have a lot of anxiety about it. <laughs> so that's basically the summary of the kind of modern day theory ish. Um, the next part uh, is just a, a quick um, summary. For, I got found from one, one site. And then after that is going to be everything I found from the German girl in America.com blog, because she went into a lot more detail. Obviously I'm assuming she's from Germany. So she had a lot more information that I felt was pertinent, but I'm kind of going to just go ahead and do both just because it's a little bit different. Um, so this was on the burrowsofthedead.com website, I believe. Frau Perchta is a goddess in Alpine paganism in the upper German and Austrian regions of the Alps. A woodcut found from 1750 identifies her as Butzen Bertst. The name Butzen comes from the word for boogeyman. Mm. So basically boogeyman Bertst, which is supposed to be, I think, another version of her name. On the woodcut, a crone-like character is depicted with a dripping, warty nose and is carrying a basket filled with screaming children, all of which are girls, actually, on her back. The crone is standing before an open door to a house where inside more screaming girls are seen. The crone is also holding a pronged staff and a distaff, which is a stick that is used to hold fibers to be spun into wool for flax, uh, uh, into wool of flax on a spinning wheel because there was a big thing about the spinning wheel with her. This is obviously to show the tie of the crone who is supposed to be perched to and her connection to spinning and females of the family who are obviously responsible for all of the spinning of the flax of wool for the family because nobody else can do it in the house. So she just like rolls up to a house full of screaming women with other screaming women Apparently, Sounds like a lit bachelor. Well, girls, party. not women, girls, children. That's not but a lit bachelor party. <laughs> female <laughs> children. She's, she kind of sounds like um. Oh, what was that? What was that nursery rhyme or whatever with the where the the old lady in the shoe is all I can think of. <laughs> no, it it was the one where the the it was like a male creature i don't remember what it was told this woman something about spinning or weaving or whatever 
but that she oh, oh that's Rumpelstiltskin, I Rumpelstiltskin. think. She sounds like a female yeah. version of Rumpelstiltskin. Sort of. Only, well, sort of, but that involved his name and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, it could be a spinoff, maybe. Because um, that's a pretty old, that might be an interesting one to look into. Yeah. Um, but that's a pretty old lore, too, I think. Um, but this is only mentioned like that, like that type of image of her is really only mentioned specifically in, in this part of it. Um, the image of Frau Perchta didn't begin as a fearsome pagan crone that's depicted in the woodcut described. She started out as a beautiful white goddess, according to the lore. <laughs> Me too. Don't we all? And then we meet men. <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> we meet some men. Let's put it that way. Mm. All right. So, like I said, I found the blog that explained so much more detail about the legends and the beliefs. So I wanted to go over um, as much as possible from her page that I thought was pertinent. According to her site, originally Frau Perchta was a goddess named Berchta or Bertha, which means bright or shining one. And she protected women and children. The Lady in White, or White Lady, as Bertha was also known, was considered the alpine cousin of Frau Hall, or Holly, I guess, and the Nordic goddess Frigga. She was associated with birch trees and watched over the forest and all the wildlife in it. She was a spirit guide, which apparently the term was a psychopomp, which is kind of a fun rude. word. It's <laughs> fucking rude. <laughs> okay. Uh, who led the dead into the afterlife. Kind of like a grim reaper, I guess. But it was specifically her job to take care of children who died in infancy. She was considered the goddess of the in-between places. For example, she's found between safety and danger, life and death. And during Epiphany, the goddess of the time between the years, Christmas and shortly after New Year's. Hmm. Very interesting concept. Um, I, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, I'm... I've definitely felt like I've been in the in-between times of a woman's life, quote unquote, for the longest time. Um, I just now kind of feel like I'm getting to the adult part, even though supposedly I've been an adult the whole time. But I've, I never had kids, so I never had any incentive to be an adult. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Until recently, so. I never I had a mortgage, so I never felt like I was truly an adult. Oh, yeah, you got to skip out on that. Yeah, <laughs> I have uh, had a mortgage for a little while. Recently. I now have a mortgage and I want to cry every day. <laughs> yeah. A lot on the day that that bill comes out and you have money and then voila, you don't. Is I, what I've, what I've discerned, like, and I'm, I'm making light of it. Like I've been stressed my whole life, you know, anxiety, whatever. But like, I think, I think what being adult an adult really is, it's just crying in the shower and a lot of coffee. <laughs> pretty much <laughs> none of us know what we're doing but i think too i and to get on kind of a serious note but sort of not i've been kind of like adult minded since i was a kid like i was more mature so going into adulthood i don't think i even realized i was technically an adult until i was at least in my late 20s they call i still trauma. didn't feel like it was <laughs> so that's true that's very true but you know, so I've never really thought about it. And then hello, this year has been nothing but growth and a lot of podcast episodes, apparently, because I didn't realize how many we had done until the other day. And I look back on it. I didn't either. Like, I was, uh, yeah. 
Which, by the way, so I, I'm going to take a tangent real quick. Surprise. Um, did you realize you did episode 29 twice? I did. Yeah. <laughs> so I, at first I thought you were just going to keep doing 29 for the rest of the episodes as a joke. No, no. I I can't like, un- <laughs> I can't undo it now because they're. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's a little, there's an extra one for you. So. <laughs> There's a bonus, is, that's the bonus one. <laughs> yeah, this is like what 33, 32? No, we're past that, I think. Wait, wait maybe I like 33, 34, maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. I just, I I've was really I was shocked today. Uh, hello, new listeners, by the way. I have not looked at our <laughs> um, analytics in a while because I was at the beach with my in laws and for a well deserved vacation. I know. I love my in laws. Um, and I looked at it today, and I was just like, oh, okay, uh, that's what we're doing now. And then I just exited it. <laughs> Decided I'm not going to look at it anymore. <laughs> so, hi. Okay. Hi, new listeners. Glad to have you. Now we're going to get back to what I was talking about before we got on another tangent. Yeah, sorry. Welcome to the no, Weaver Tales. the one that started it. <laughs> This time I started it. I'm the one that brings us back, typically. In any case, akin to this dual nature, Bertha was depicted as both an old crone with a splayed foot, possibly from the years spent working on a spinning wheel, or a goose foot, like was mentioned earlier, the idea being that she was a shapeshifter that cared for the animals. She was a goose? No, goose foot. No, like she could shapeshift, I guess. Into a goose. Yes. I'm assuming she's, so. I would. It would be weird to shapeshift to another animal and still have a goose foot. She's not me. We are not. <laughs> no, she's not you. You would. You definitely. That would not be your choice. <laughs> and she walked with a cane. So the blog actually used the term "spinstruvenfrau," which sounds like it pretty well sums it up. Like spins. And then you've got the Frau, so it kind of makes sense, which is kind of interesting on a lot of these German words. It's like the sound kind of makes sense. When you sound it out, it makes sense for what it's describing, which was interesting. Um, as the crone, she was known to wander the countryside as the upholder of cultural taboos. Now we're back to you. During the <laughs> during the Ronacht, she was part of the wild hunt, causing rumblings in the mountains with the, with her followers. And she, uh, the blogger made an interesting side note, quote, quick aside, why would there be a goddess to uphold cultural taboos? Remember in Germany, society works together to uphold certain rules. At the time, participating in holidays and feasting was important. It held the group together. By not participating, by working on days where the group was supposed to be feasting, was to bring bad luck to the group. This concept of society's rules and taboos still carries forward today. Just look at the expectation to sweep the apartment steps on, quote, your day, or ordinances against washing the car on a Sunday. This is so interesting. I I actually follow somebody on, um, I think it's Instagram, and she is, I want to say, Vietnamese and she her boyfriend is German so she moved to Germany in with her boyfriend and one of the videos she posted recently was like today's my day to clean the apartment building and she's like sweeping the halls and like cleaning 
closets and things like that in the entire like apartment building because they take turns to do that. Mm -hmm. Apparently it's a big, it's a society thing. Like they look at it as it's society's role to take care of things. Yeah. Uh, I would Novel just, concept. I would just hire somebody to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just pay somebody to do my day? I mean, so my brother, uh, all us kids used to have to do a week of dishes. That was our, that was our over, no matter what other chores we had, that was our chore. Each one of us had one week and we kind of went in order, but we'd have an extra week if we did it bad the week that was our week. Well, at some point we got old enough. We had our, we had our own jobs. We made money. So the older ones would pay the younger ones to do their week of dishes. Got to me. I hope my brother listens to this episode. It got to me and I'm working, by the way, I'm earning minimum wage, which at that time was $5 and 15 cents an hour. Oh, good old days. Got to me. And my mom's like, you can get a job. Your brother can't. You have to pay him for your week of dishes. I'm like, dude, no, I'll do my dishes. I don't want to pay him. I'd like to keep my money, please. No, that's not an option. He can't get a job. What the crap? Are you serious? It's <laughs> so funny that your family did that because mine did it too. Like, really? <laughs> yeah, we had, we, well, my sister, and I hope you're listening, Mackenzie. My sister half the time didn't do it. Because yeah, he didn't do it either. She's flighty as crap. But I, <laughs> I was normally the one like cleaning the dishes. Didn't get an allowance for it. But my brother would pay me twenty dollars a week on his week to do the whole week of his yes. dishes because he was older <laughs> than me. So <laughs> I mean, this is not an uncommon concept. Apparently, I don't feel so left out. But no. you know, it's just like, dude, I got shafted. All right, whatever. It was Virchow's responsibility, assigned to her, or she just took it upon herself, you be the judge, to ensure that the young women completed all their required spending for the year. No laziness allowed here. You had until January 6th to complete all of your work. If not done, the consequences could be dire. This isn't a terrible idea, I feel like. You know, clean, clear your workspace and home and get ready to start the new year fresh. Shouldn't we kind of try to do that anyway? I mean, no. that, that honestly, that I kind of do that anyway, honestly, but I wonder if that's not an uncommon idea though. I've definitely heard that plenty of times before. A lot of um, gurus and stuff will tell you to do that. So I wonder if that's kind of where this idea might come from. Again, and I cannot point this out enough, seasonal depression. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair, very fair. Another excerpt completely from her blog, I'm going to quote. And uh, <clears throat> you might want to get your tissues handy. It's a little, it's a little touching. Montana will be fine. According to one of Birch's legends, a woman who lost her son in infancy saw him in a field with a group of other children, each carrying a jug, following a lady dressed in white. As the white lady stepped over a low wall, the other children followed, but her son couldn't get over. She raced over to pick him up and take him in her arms. He smiled at her warmth and said to her, don't cry, mother. You'll fill my drug with my jug with your tears and it will overflow. I'm safe with the white lady. The weeping mother stopped crying and sent her son on the other or, and set her son on the other side of the wall with the rest of the children and was able to return to her home content that her child was being looked after. By consuming her tears? This sounds like a cult. <laughs> well, but they're her son's dead. Oh, and a, a so, dead cult. <laughs> okay the idea is she's supposed to be taking care of them 
Okay. During this time time of high infant mortality, women looked to Birch to, to, for comfort so they could know that their children that passed were protected and cared for in the afterlife. They were known as Heim, Heimkin, the, children, the spirits of the children who died before they could be baptized. In order to show their support and as tribute, women would cook a special porridge called Perchton Milch, which is a gruel with fish to feed for their family and to also leave a portion out for Birchta and any of her followers. What is this like obsession with like fish dishes and like making them sound as disgusting as possible? Well, I feel like gruel is kind of like just tossing everything in a pot. and Yeah, but gruel sounds nasty. Well, porridge doesn't really sound exactly appetizing either. It hasn't since the three bears. Well, and like putting fish in just like... Well, I think that was just a common th- meat for them I'm, at the time. I'm sure. But they just don't make it sound appetizing. <laughs> I don't think they're trying to. Oh, okay. It was believed that if she enjoyed her meal, she would bless the household for the rest of the year. So do you see where this? a lot of these traditions are starting out? Not really with a bad side to them. You're doing these things in hopes of a blessing. You're doing these things in hopes that she's going to take care of your child that died so young. Here's where it takes a turn. Despite the fact that the Catholic Church obviously preached against these exact types of pagan rituals, the women did not want to give up the practice. The church even lectured against it, accusing anyone still following such practices of praying to Domina Perchta instead of the Virgin Mary. Incidentally, it never says to pray to Mary in the Bible, so I don't know where they felt like they were worthy of guilting women about quote unquote praying to another woman, but well, it's a, uh, does it? And I may be getting this wrong. I don't know a lot about, um, organized religion, but isn't Christ, aren't you supposed to in, um, Catholic? Yes. Catholics. That's why I said the Catholic church was the ruling church, but it's not actually in the Bible anywhere. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I won't go into that, but I was just like, interesting, but okay. Um, thus, the church was basically the church basically renamed Birchta as Perchta, which, if you noticed earlier, I said it with a P, which is hard to tell when you're listening to it, but you can see it. Um, so they replaced the B with a P. Why do you ask? Because Perchtin are frightening monsters, and the renamed Perchta was the leader of those monsters. The goddess of white, once known for her protection, was was changed into an old crone with a hooked nose who carried a knife in her skirts and slit the bellies of anyone who crossed her. Regardless, some of the people still chose to worship her. In 1498, the church officials outlawed the cult of Perchta in the Thesaurus Pauperdom, and it forbade leaving Perchta offerings during the Christmas season. Ooh, this is such an interesting... Okay, so I said I don't know a lot about um, organized religion. (laughs) Well, can I just say this one thing and then? Yeah. The Thesaurus Popernum is a collection of acceptable behaviors, recipes, and medicinal cures for the poor compiled over seven centuries by church officials. Yes. Now now you may go. So I know a little bit about like early religion and that's like from like 1200s to maybe 1600s. And a lot of that time, that time frame, they outlawed like um, worship of other deities and things like that mm-hmm. because the church was actually the governing body then. Right. And to ensure that they got paid 
and that they were the central governance, they made it illegal to pretty so much. So you couldn't get hope from anything else. Yeah. And to be a woman. But, you know, that's a different topic. Oh, oh that we could, I could do a series of no less than 10 episodes on what I know about the Catholic Church and, and this whole mess of their role because that's yeah. what it was still is in some places um but yeah they uh it, it's pretty obvious what the the underlying reasons for yeah. some of this is that's a different podcast though yeah that's a whole different podcast so we'd never have any followers no it only took about 250 years for her to be known as frau perchta also butts and Birched, which I had mentioned earlier, the belly slitter, when she appeared on the twelfth night of Christmas with her Perchton spirit followers with the new name of the belly slitter. Now, if a child were determined to be a liar, she would scrape his eyes out with glass. If she was unsatisfied either by your general behavior, your dirty home, or your laziness and not completing your spinning for the year, again, she would slice open your belly and stuff it with straws and pebbles. And because she wasn't done, stomp the unfinished work with her deformed goose foot. So none of the children had eyes. Basically. And most people had their guts torn out and stomped on. Very likely. <laughs> okay. Go on. There's a, there's a lot of murder going on around there. Due to this new image, new rituals began to surface. In Austria, groups calling themselves Perchton would dress in masks and costumes and perform rituals to frighten away the ghostly followers of Perchta and wake up the spirit of the new year. Ugly Perchton were known as, and this is going to be hard, Shy Perchton and Beautiful Perchton, or the White Woman, was known as Sean Perchton. The beautiful version of course, brought luck to the villagers. Even though the traditions were banned by the church, there were those that still held to these traditions. The stories were so interesting that Jacob Grimm detailed pagan German mythology in his book, Deutsch, Deutsch, I think, Mythology, which is Teutonic mythology in um, English. According to his research, he found, which is always interesting, research, he found that Perchta was at some point as powerful as Birch told and led the wild hunt beside him. With renewed interest in folklore, traditions became, began to, came, to come back. Just as there was Krampusnacht parades on December 5th, there was also Ronst, I guess, 12, which is the 12 days of Christmas that became a Shut up. That became a time for traditional Perchton performances. Today, Perchton ceremonies are mostly held for tourists in the Alpine regions of Austria. Both the uh, groups with the ugly heavy masks being the ugly version and the beautiful version that are to wake spring can be seen. And if you don't do your chores and keep your house clean, then the Perchton with the giant beaks may just pay you a visit. Mm. So even if you've never heard of her and certainly never left her a bowl of fish gruel, some of her traditions may still be upheld. I still clean my house the day after Christmas. Uh, well, I clean my house all the time, obviously, but I'm a little more thorough the day after Christmas because I can't help to do so after the mess that it has been Christmas. 
the idea of clearing everything pen, pending the start to start the new day makes perfect sense. And at the beginning of the year, we take down all of our Christmas decorations and put them up. So I don't necessarily think some of us need the threat of a goddess to uh, come and slit our stomachs if we don't do what we're supposed to. But I guess it can't hurt for some people, although it probably doesn't make a lot of difference for most. Well, it, it doesn't help with your own. Like, this just sounds like an earlier, like, an earlier unrealistic expectation of people, like unrealistic beauty standards. You've got your ugly goddess and your mm-hmm. pretty goddess. And it all comes down to, like, your worth as a human being based on, like, others' depiction of what worth is made of. The work you do. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, uh, that's not at all uncommon for way back in the day either. So no, not not surprising, but so I would, akin, like I I mentioned to Montana earlier, I would say she's kind of the, it's, it's almost like she's the end to Krampus's yang. So I'd never heard of her, but I feel like it kind of makes sense and it kind of follows along with Krampus too, but I found it interesting. So that's it. That's all on Frau Perchta. Oh, well, good job, dear. It's your turn. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> um, before we get started, we're going to take a little commercial break. All right, Samantha, are you ready to hear about my story? Yes. As soon as you told me what it was, I was like, please tell me spooky stuff about this. I really, really want to hear it. I already hated it, so it's only going to get better. <laughs> So I'm actually, I'm going to tell Samantha about elves, but to give you guys just a little bit of information on specifically what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, I'm going to tell you a brief history about the elves in North America, and then I'm going to tell Samantha some history and a couple of creepy stories, first-hand accounts. Of Elf on the Shelf. Yeah. All right. (laughs) I am ready. Okay. Well, I was originally just going to do like just straight up elves. And then I started researching and there was just so much on elves. There's like so much history to do with like Santa's elves. So I just stuck to North America and the creepiest thing that I could think around elves. And that is Elf on the Shelf. So. 100%. 100%. I don't like my cats wandering all over my house at night but i know they're doing it and at least they live here the idea of a tiny little elf walking around my house and just causing general mischief like no not dude if you want to be really creeped out go on creepypasta i can send you nope two different ones nope that talk about (laughs) so i'm not gonna read them today because they're way too long you could not do it on this episode but uh the creepypasta ones uh they scared the shit out of me (laughs) <laughs> anyway, so, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm reading this off, even though I've told you guys what I'm going to say, I'm going to read this off because I'm a wordsmith and, uh, I've, I'm just great about writing great things. <laughs> Obviously. Advance. So today I'm going to tell Samantha about Santa's little helpers. Move out the way, Chris Kringle. You ain't today's showstopper. <laughs> The history of Santa's Little Helpers actually dates back pretty far, well before colonizers settled in North America. 
While it is believed that the origins of elves are derived from Norse mythology, well, here in the good old U.S. of A., the story is a bit different. And that is actually Surprise. where you're going to start. <laughs> Tell me a story that ain't different coming from the town here. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> And to do so, I'm going to quote one of the best articles I've seen written about the evolution of elves in the United States. It may be the only article I've read about the evolution of elves in the United States, but it is also the doesn't best matter. One. Still is the best. <laughs> it really is. It was written by Noreen Malone in an article titled, titled Santa's Little Spies, How Christmas Elves Turned Creepy. And I'll link this article in the show notes because I don't read the entirety of it. And I think it's just a great article in and of itself. So you guys go and enjoy that. I'm going to read a couple of uh, paragraphs from it just because I think it's important to kind of understand how the evolution of Christmas happened in North America and why it happened the way it did. And kind of just while I know... The majority of people listening are not going to go on these websites and they're not going to look at any of this stuff. If we recommend and you are interested, please, at the very least, click on the link, look at their site and click on their link because that helps them. Yeah. And helps. they're helping us. So mm-hmm. just share the love. If, if you can do just that. Spread it Be out. a huge help. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I quote, this is from the article. I will tell you when I have stopped from the article. The American version of the Christmas elf, the one who lives in the North Pole, cobbling together toys, emerged sometime in the mid-19th century. The exact origins are somewhat murky. Some credit, credit it to Louisa May Alcott. But by night... By, by, hey, there you go. There's your Christmas present. But by 1857, Harper's had published a Christmas poem with the lines, quote, In his house, upon the top of a hill, and almost out of sight, he keeps a great many elves at work, all working with all their might to make a million pretty things, cakes, sugar plums, and toys, unquote. It was, after all, a time of bustling manufacturing in the United States a state of affairs that would only increase over the next century or so. Alongside the elf's place in our holiday mythology, the modern Christmas is a peon to capitalism, American style, and as and has been since long before people were trampled outside of Walmart's on Black Friday. Ouch. And capitalism is nothing without its happy, industrious workers producing goods. Every Santa needs his helpers, just as every Henry Ford needed his factory workers. Then came the 1960s. A Hermie, the misfit elf, not everyone is cut out to be a cog in the wheel, man, as the country realized in mass not long after the now classic television special Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer featuring Hermie aired in 1964. Don't you dare mess up this show for me. <laughs> Hermie dreamed, 
I'm not messing it up. I'm not messing up. Okay. Hermie dreamed of following his own path, dentistry. <laughs> and this little note in here. Rugged individualism doesn't always have a rebellious trappings. <laughs> <laughs> it was rebellious for him. And left the North Pole to pursue it. Just as America's youth began to realize that they w- wanted to join the Peace Corps or move to the hate or learn to woodwork in Colorado instead of dropping their resume off at IBM. Or wanted to go into the medical field. Or join the war. Or, you know, whatever. Hermie was the most famous modern elf for decades, until Will Ferrell got in the game. In 2003's goofy beloved elf featured Ferrell as a good-natured man-boy. Buddy who dearly loved the North Pole, but who was the gargantuan for the elf community. In his eagerness to help out, he ended up messing things up for the very people whose lives he wanted to improve. Meanwhile, Hegemon America was a year into the Iraq invasion, where, led by a good-natured man-boy with a certain physical resemblance to Farrell, we ended messing things up for the very people whose lives we wanted to improve. But Elf wasn't ultimately a story about disillusionment, though Buddy has a rough series of encounters with modernity in Manhattan, the Christmas spirit triumphs, and only the belief that Santa Claus is real, that the old traditions and belief systems are worth fighting for, saves the day. It was a perfect post-9-11 feel-good morality tell. So this article basically just goes into, like... It's, inter- it's very interesting, and it also makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you can do this with not just Christmas. I mean, you can just look at regular media and see how it does that same yeah. thing. Literally, my next statement in here, and that was the end of the article, by the way. My next thing is, I found this article just so enthralling. To me, it made perfect sense that the storied elves and most many mythological characters would evolve just as fictional television and movie characters do over time. Yep. I found that pretty interesting. And I never really thought about, like, how like early Santa Claus and things like that when people were just making tons of money it was a big boom and this was kind of like I mean in and of itself Santa Claus and the elves they're all problematic it's basically telling your kids that you better do good or this invisible man's gonna see that you don't and also I'm lying to you for years and you're gonna have trust issues which I mean if you want to too late but all right (laughs) yeah i'm uh, you know i'm not i'm i'm not judging you but some kids may find to have trust issues after being lied to for years that's just my thing but to see how it evolved from that to like the rebellious elf who didn't want to be an elf to like the bubbly uh, carefree elf from will ferrell it was just kind of like Oh, that is. And it made me think, like, that's kind of how, like, a lot of our media works in general. Mythology work, like, mythology does evolve like that, too. 
But mm-hmm. typically, mythology, it takes hundreds of years. But since Well, yeah, and ours, ours we're looking at, if, if we're looking at media, we're looking over the last 100, maybe 200 years. Um, but I mean, think about all of the classics, right? Um, I mean, White Christmas, that was during a wartime. And it was about the army and being at war. And afterwards, what was going on? Um, it's a wonderful life too. talking about capitalism and how it can ruin a town and why he was the one person that was important. I'm sure that's interesting. If you look at the time period that it was set in home or alone. that it was made in home alone, key kid mm-hmm. home alone two, your parents are neglectful home alone three. You have materialism trauma. to some extent too. <laughs> yeah, true. A lot of money going on over there. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, how did you have such a big house? I can't. With all the, why, why are all of those kids living there? I don't understand what's I just, happening. I can't get past I it. don't understand any of it. <sighs> so, so much. But there's a full-on article. I only read three paragraphs. Please go check it out. It's such a great article. If I could have just sat here and read the whole thing, I would have. But that's not what this podcast is. Anyway. No, and that we're not going to steal other people's material either. Yeah. So... Right. So we give you teasers so you can go look it up. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Now on to the juicy stuff. Since I know my love for elf historical facts aren't exactly everyone's cup of tea. (laughs) Let's talk about elf on the shelf. The elf on the shelf, a Christmas tradition is a tooth. And I didn't realize this. How old, how old do you think elf on the shelf is? Um, I would say mid 2000s to 2010. Oh, okay. See, I was thinking it was a lot older than that. Like we never did it, but we were poor and. I had nieces and nephews. Um, I will. Cause yeah, you're like before Facebook and stuff. Like you didn't keep track of people and you didn't see it as much. I remember, I kind of sort of remember around the time that it, got popular all of a sudden yeah okay well it it started in uh 2005 okay yeah so that was right when so i graduated in the mid 2000s so a lot of my friends were like quote unquote adulting and getting married and having babies so that's why it's it makes sense to me because it was right at that time ew gross um no i'm older than you Ugh. I still, I, still never, I still never did that though because yeah, <laughs> I never had any kids and by the time I got married to my current husband or even started dating him his kids were past that so I avoided it altogether that was intentional well lucky you uh some <laughs> are not so lucky let's go on <laughs> yeah. so it's a a Christmas tradition um it's a an American picture book for children written by Carol Abersold and her daughter Chanda Bell, and illustrated by uh, Coe Steinwart. The book tells a Christmas theme story written in rhyme that explains how Santa Claus knows who is naughty and nice. It describes elves visiting children from Thanksgiving to Christmas Eve, after which they return to the North Pole until the next holiday season. The Elf on the Shelf comes in a keepsake box that features a hardbound picture book and a small scout elf. That's the name of the elf. 
Um, also, it is a scout, and we'll get to why it's called that. Creepy, but okay. The story was inspired by a family tradition tradition started by Carol Abersold for her twin daughters, Chandabel and Krista Pitts in Georgia. The book tells how the magic might disappear if the scout elf is touched. So the rule in the book states, There's only one rule that you have to follow, so I will come back and be here tomorrow. Please do not touch me. My magic might go, and Santa won't hear all I've seen or I know. Although families are told not to touch their scout elf, they can speak to it and tell it all of their Christmas wishes so that it can be reported back to Santa accurately. Creepy. I wonder if this was also a way for us to get around the electronic age and the amount of information that they could have access to of the, you know, Santa, the, the fake Santas and all of that that we grew up with. I wonder if this was kind of a way for them to get around that of saying, oh, well, this is how we do it now. And we just didn't. We had this when we were kids. No, we didn't. And this is how Santa finds out. Well, honestly, like in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, and you can hate me if you want to. And, and but, but before we go any further, if you have any children that are currently listening to this podcast, which number one, I'm really surprised, but number two, shoo them away. Yeah. Maybe, maybe <laughs> the rest of disclaimer at the this beginning. One. <laughs> yeah. But it just sounds like another like way to control your child without. Yeah. you directly doing it it it's so manipulative and it's so like the idea of and i, I have friends who do elf on the shelf I've, I've seen plenty of things where people do elf on the shelf and it's cute and it's sweet but and they don't they don't typically do the whole like they're watching you and they're gonna tell santa that's like a manipulation tactic and that's a good way to like traumatize a child well, I mean, my thing is, and it's a novel idea, and I know not everybody will do it, and I don't have kids, so I'm not pretending to tell you how to do it. Yeah, I have no idea. Do I don't kids, have kids. I do listen to a lot of very well-known therapists and people that do know about this, and why not teach your kids to do the right thing because they should do the right thing, not because they're going to get something if they do the right thing. Yeah, that too. That's giving an ulterior motive for things. And so you're teaching, instead, what they're learning is if I do the right thing, then I get this instead of I should just do the right thing because it's the right thing. Well, and also, like, I can't do anything without a little elf or like Santa Claus seeing me. And then you find out, like, you've spent your entire childhood thinking like you're under surveillance. And then and some of the things that, that you think that you're not supposed to do aren't necessarily bad. Bad. So I I I have a whole problem with the whole like Santa and I, I had a problem with that when I was a kid. I have my own childhood trauma <laughs> to pull on. Well, that's a different. That's a different podcast. We, oh, that's a completely different. Uh, if there we did that there, one and it didn't go well, so we just stopped. Yeah. <laughs> if there are any therapists with podcasts out there? Um, I'm happy to. Uh, talk with you i have plenty of trauma uh <laughs> plenty to go around That's i'm just kidding old. my dad is amazing 
Um, anyway, <laughs> that's like my that's my whole take on it. I just don't like the idea of like you better do this because if you don't, this like little doll is going to go back to the North Pole and tell Santa you've been a bad person. Like, well, I'm worried too about the parents that may do that as an excuse to not get their kids stuff and tell them that things are they were bad so they don't get this and that's not fair either which is even i mean that's very easily done yeah that's terrible Ugh. anyway and while we're on that note if you do give your gifts to the kids as santa don't give them the expensive gifts from santa because then kids who don't get those gifts think that they did something wrong I feel like that should be. I feel that should like be just a general point, rule. That should be common knowledge. I feel like everybody should know that at this point. Like, because those kids are going to get back to school. I feel like every parent should know this by now. You've seen the Facebook post. Like, don't overindulge as Santa. Give them, I don't mm-hmm. know, uh, coal. That's what I was <laughs> at. Anyway. That's, I know what I'm getting you this year. <laughs> Like, what's so funny is, like, my husband and I, uh, we've been together for over a decade now, and the first few Christmases we were together, his family has, like, this big Christmas thing or whatever. I know we're getting on they another have a big day. Easter thing. They have big everything yeah, holiday thing. <laughs> um, and so, like, every year, there's, like, four aunts, there's a million uncles, like, the, everybody's asking, like, what do you want for Christmas? And so, my husband and I, like, would jokingly say, we want coal. Blah, blah, blah. And then when they gave us coal, like, as a joke, we were happy about it because it was just extra coal for our grill at the time. Mm-hmm. Because we were so I was thinking. <laughs> we're like, Remember the year so you asked much. for socks and nobody got them for you? So I, I was so upset about that. I was so upset. I was like, all I want is, like, wine glasses and socks. And nobody got me wine glasses and socks. And so Samantha got me. Well, they gave me really nice gifts and was super happy about it. Like, I am not complaining. I was just like, I literally like the top things and the least expensive things on there. It was like wine glasses and socks. And I was like, noted. (laughs) (laughs) And then like two, two, three weeks later, she gets a box and there was no name on it. There was nothing on it. She goes, did this come from you? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Do I have a secret admirer? Is somebody stalking me? Do they know what I that want? would be a little creepy from a secret admirer. Just uh, saying. It might have been Elf on the Shelf. And it wasn't socks that said, if you can see this, that means I need wine. It was just regular socks that you would normally yeah. wear day to day. Just wow. to clarify. I might wear those day to day too. Anyway. In the... Uh, so let's get to the stories. I actually, I have two to tell you. Um hmm. So, I'm going to start with the other one. So, I'm going to have to click over here. What did the scout elf do? Well, see, so, they're called scout in the book. Scout elves. But you actually, just to give clarification, once you get your elf, you name it. Well, that's rude. Yeah, so you you, you They just lose their name? Well, they're scout or whatever. So uh, the story I'm going to tell you is um, on a website called knoxvillemoms.com. 
And it is about, it is titled Elf on a Shelf, a horror story. Oh, starting strong. And I'm just going to read from her, her own website. Uh, I was going to like copy and paste it and format it, but there's a bunch of pictures. So I'm going to actually send you the link for this so that you can see the pictures. Oh, cool. And there you go. So here we go. It starts out. I realize that Elf on the Shelf is a conver- a controversial topic. You don't say. <laughs> I just gave my own opinion about it. <laughs> Lodged firmly in between people who own multiple Christmas trees and people who prefer white string lights to multicolored lights. Fair. That, that's a hot take. That's all I'm going to say. It's it's going to be just solid white ones all day long, but that's just me. Um, when you have kids, it's not allowed. We have nothing but multicolored, and it's not my favorite, but it's fine. I live with it. <laughs> Sucks for you. <laughs> but I'm only opening this can of worms so that I can share my horror story and perhaps save a few lives in the process. I had successfully avoided Elf on the Shelf for the first several years of my child's children's lives, but this year I caved. I heard somewhere that someone would be awarding a prize to the mom who created the most Christmas magic. That's still true, right? So I threw my hat into the ring. My first mistake. I feel like this is going to go in a direction that I could see you doing. With this next paragraph, this would be me. My first mistake was starting with elf babies. Harvested fresh from the branches of an evergreen tree on Thanksgiving Day. As per per the folklore that I made up on the spot for my children. It was my intention that the elf babies would grow into elf children and then eventually grow into elf adults. Obviously. That would be, that's like me if when when my ADHD goes off and I'm like, this is a really good idea and I start something and then halfway through, I start something I'm else bored with this. and I was like, what the fuck was I doing? <laughs> what was I doing? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> However, my seven-year-old quickly became terrified of the elf babies. <laughs> Unsurprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if you <laughs> if you put if you say if you have something in your house and you say if you if you put something in your house that is like a doll and say it's going to be creepy just in general <laughs> look you can't touch it it's watching you and if you do anything <laughs> wrong it's going to go back to the North Pole it's going to tell Santa that you were bad and then you're not going to get any presents. Also, in the middle of the night, it moves around and it fucks <laughs> shit up. So tell me why your child is scared. <laughs> I've wondered that the entire time. <laughs> this is the very first time I heard about this. I was wondering the exact same question you just asked. Okay. So, while they are, while they are adorable... When seen by the light of day, they apparently take on a sinister appearance in the dead of night. (laughs) 
He woke up at 3 a.m. on multiple occasions and swore that the elf babies were standing on the end of his bed, holding hands with each other and staring at him menacingly, with their shadows exaggerated largely on the wall by the glow of the nightlight. This poor child. I'm t- uh, traumatizing. <laughs> I just... I want I'm to so give, glad they didn't have this when I was a kid. I know. What I had was actually a little bit worse. We'll get back to that story in a second, but I just have to talk about this. My sister and I, we were twins. We shared a bedroom growing up. My mother, for whatever reason, decided that our room was going to be themed in um, Raggedy Ann and Andy dolls. Mm-hmm. Like the whole theme. And that's fine. Whatever, a little doll here and there. You got a bedspread and things like that. What she did, though, traumatized me for the rest of my life because I still have nightmares about it. She put life size for us, you know, we were toddlers, you know, maybe two and a half feet, three feet tall. Life size Raggedy Ann and Andy dolls, not on a bookshelf, not on the floor. She suspended them up on the wall so they were looking down on us. What the hell? While we slept. And so my sister and I, and when she hears this podcast, she's going to be like, you just unlocked like a core memory for me. I have forgotten about that. So she's going to text me when she hears this and be like, you're going to be in trouble. I forgot about the Raggedy Ann and Andy thing. (laughs) We would take turns of who slept the closest to the dolls on the wall. Because we were both so terrified of them. Oh, that's so sad. This is just a PSA for me. Don't traumatize your children with dolls. Anyways, back to the story. We're just going to breeze over that trauma. Toy box unless the kid pulls it out. Exactly. Exactly. Don't don't suspend a doll above your kid's head so it watches you while it's... Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So freaking creepy. Ugh. I tried to assure my child that he was merely the victim of an overactive imagination. But in the days following his nighttime terrors, I started to notice strange occurrences going on in our house and was struggling to come up with a reasonable explanation. You have ADHD. No. Uh, I lost my car keys one day and finally managed to find them in a place where I never put them did that today uh i left them in my husband's car i've been looking for them for two days and i was just too disappointed in myself to ask him if i had left them in his car and i finally broke down and asked him i don't i don't leave my house listen it's a problem uh i found doors unlocked overnight when i know for a fact that i locked them important papers have gone missing you name it and it's happened did your dog done, end done, up done. on the roof? Did that happen? I named it. After each of these strange occurrences, my young, my youngest calmly took my hand and explained to me in a slow, exaggerated voice, the kind you use to explain a complicated concept to a small child who doesn't understand that the elf babies have been the culprits behind all of these events. Do you understand, by the way? When a child does that, do you know why they're doing it? They're doing it because you've taught them that that's what you're supposed to do. When a thing is complicated and you need to explain it to somebody, 
You do it in a patronizing tone because that's what's always been done to them. Mm. Just food for thought. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Knoxville won. No, her article's great. Um, I'm just saying I've heard kids do it and I, I it, it hit me one day. I'm like, well, that's how people talk to them. So they think that's what you're supposed to do when you're talking about like important things. Anytime a kid comes up to me and is like it's trying to grab my hand and talk to me like an important little adult and just jerk my hand back and go uh, don't touch me <laughs> teaching an important lesson boundaries boundaries don't touch me a couple of times i placed the elf babies carefully on the kitchen counter and then turned around to find them gone one nope. day <laughs> no <laughs> i would find them and they would no longer be in the house this is me noping the fuck out of there <laughs> Uh, one day I went to both boys in a shrieky sort of panic asking if they'd seen the elf babies and my youngest found them in a weird place that none of us had put them. Now I'm starting to wonder if the elves have supernatural powers or maybe my kids are using elf on a shelf to keep my behavior in line. (laughs) What is happening? And the plot thickens. (laughs) Let's turn this thing around for you. You think you're going to keep us in line with these little dolls? Teach you a thing how the tables have turned. In any case, this has all taken a turn from Christmas cheer into some kind of horror movie plot, and I determined this to I determined to safely lock the elf babies in a cabinet from which they will never escape to terrorize our family again. For my son's middle of the night tearful request. And still, they were not in the cabinet the next morning. Instead, I found them in the bathroom sink, and they had multiplied somehow. There were more. Naturally, I decided to do what any trouble, what anyone troubled with a demon, poltergeist, ghost, frightening supernatural being would do. I sent them. What? Sage. (laughs) Well, that's what I would have done. Instead... (laughs) Instead, I sent them in the mail to my friends. <laughs> what else? Isn't, may- isn't that from the ring? You're supposed to spread the 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 cheer, basically. I guess one elf baby arrives safely at its destination, much to my former friend's horror and dismay. <laughs> One elf baby became lost in transit, and the U.S. Postal Service can't tell me where exactly it's going to end up. Better check your mailbox. <laughs> it's not been in mine. And, and at the end of it, it says, This is my PSA to do your family a favor and refrain from inviting the little elf terrorist into your homes this holiday season. <laughs> Even at the babies. You. The babies are evil, for sure. True. Time for me to go and stock up on holy water. You do that. The pictures are pretty good too. Yeah. So the one with the toaster was a little scary. That's not the only. If you like search "elf on a shelf," like "scary elf on a shelf," or like "haunted elf on a shelf," half of them have those little bastards are in toasters or have like knives and toasters. Mm-mm. I guess they want to set themselves on fire. Anyway. I- I guess themselves in the world. So, in the uh, uh, that was the end of that story. But 
Here's a, a funny little aside, a different little story for you. In the early 2010s, an elf on the shelf was sold on eBay claiming to be haunted. The owner took a picture of the elf with a knife and texted it to her husband. Haha, look at this. The elf is crazy. LOL. Oh well. Time to pack him up because he's kind of creepy. That's when it started. Footsteps were heard walking down the hallway when no one was there. The doorbell would ring on its own at different times during the day. One night, the owner was sick and slept in the living room on the couch by the Christmas tree where the elf was at the time, and she had terrible nightmares. They probably involved the tiny elf all sliced up. Sorry. They probably involved tiny elves all slicing up her ankles with tiny knives. And when she woke up, the elf was inside the cuff of her of the bottom of her PJ pants. Nope. So throwing that thing on the fire. Yeah, no kidding. And watching it burn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh so Chucky doll. (laughs) There are like there are other stories. The the creepy pasta stories are really good, but they are just so long. Like I I can't um talk I can't like read through them on here. I can give you like an overview of one because I remember it pretty well. But basically this girl goes home for um Christmas. She remembers her parents using Elf on the Shelf with her as a kid and telling her not to touch the Elf on the Shelf. And she never did, even after she found out, like, Elf on the Shelf wasn't real because it freaked her out so much. And her little sister, when she went back to college after Chris or after Thanksgiving, had said, had told the Elf to go look after her, and the Elf went missing. And so when she showed up back at college, the elf was in her apartment. And so she, like, called her parents. She's like, what the F is this? And they were like, we don't know, blah, blah, blah. And so she, like, tells the elf, like, I'm an adult. I don't need you here, blah, blah, blah. And the next morning, the elf's gone. And then the following morning, it shows back up. And then it's gone the next day. And then it keeps going back to her sister and to her. Like, go read those creepypastas. It freaks me out. I don't know if I'm ready. I'll, I'll think about it before I decide to do that. But I'll have a few drinks and be like, you know what would be a good idea, Paul? I have some stories we need to read. <laughs> let me let me read you this creepy pasta. <laughs> if you ever want to be like slightly scared but like really unnerved, go read creep creepy pasta. Like they're super great. Uh some parents have completely like rejected the elf on the shelf all together and so they're doing this new thing called um hall, doll in the hall i think it is hang on i'm gonna have to that I'm does in... not sound less creepy oh no no no! It, it is creepy and that's the whole point um it's instead of doing like um, Elf on the Shelf during Christmas, they're doing Doll in the Hall for Halloween. And so they're oh. like placing like creepy dolls around. So it's like Elf on the Shelf, but instead, instead of like it not having like this quote unquote sinister back, it does have a sinister like horror, scary kind of like background. Which Elf on the Shelf does too. I'm sorry. If you have a little fucking creature walking around, pouring out all your salt and switching it out for sugar, you got a fucking menace demon in your house. (laughs) 
That's all I'm saying. Any other time of the year with any other type of inanimate object, you'd be freaked the F out. Mm-hmm. And Christmas in and of itself has so many like horror filled, scary legends and things like that around it. And somehow we all think of it as like a cheery time when we all suffer from seasonal depression anyway. This explains so much. Yeah. This is why I feel so much happier when we're talking about the creepy haunted version of Christmas. And I feel so depressed and freaked out and stressed out when we talk about the quote unquote happy version. So this makes me feel better. Well, there you go. Anyways, that is Elf on the Shelf. There are tons of good job around it. So go and look up your local haunted Elf on the Shelf or try and buy one on eBay. Apparently they go for around $40. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to invite <laughs> something like that in my house. But thank you for the offer. <laughs> thank welcome. you for the story. It was just as creepy as I figured it would be. Mm, yeah. I see. I have not been wrong all these years. So good on yeah. me. There was one other like really good story and I didn't read it because they had a, um, a slur in it. Oh, so that'll do it. Yeah. Wasn't going to do that. Um, which really sucked because the story was really good, but just don't be, you know, homophobic. Yeah. That's all we ask. We're, we're pretty gay on this podcast. (laughs) Did I just out myself and you? <laughs> Maybe. That's fine. <laughs> We're allies for sure. We're so. allies for sure. Anyway. Um, That's all that matters. Good job. It was a good episode. This is fun. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. I love doing the joint ones. They're they're pretty fun. I learned a lot. It's very interesting. You learn not to have a uh, elf on the shelf. Well, I didn't learn that. I already knew that. But yeah, sure. Yeah. I learned I learned further reasons why I have been right all along. There you well, go. There you go. And Works. you learned that you can now have a doll in the hall. I might consider that. I actually, that sounds like a lot of fun. I'm going to send you the articles. The dolls look really creepy. That, that sounds amazing, especially when the kids are here for Halloween. Mm-hmm. Yep. What some parents will do is like, and especially in like your kid, uh, one of your kids' bedrooms where they keep the window open all the time, they will put the doll outside the window. <laughs> While they're asleep. So you can just see it through the window. And it freaks me Well, you know one of them has a window right over the air conditioning unit. So I could totally prop this. Mm -hmm. And there's a light. Our light that is on at night shines in that window. Totally put it right up against the window. Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) Anyways, back to Christmas. (laughs) Anyways, happy holidays, happy spooky haunted, ha- happy haunted holidays. We yeah, there you go. May have some um, bonus present episodes coming at you here soon. Um, considering, considering it, uh, if if you don't guys, know when, if you guys aren't naughty, um, we, why did I say that? I hated it. No, <laughs> no. Regardless of what uh, of which side of the aisle you're on. We might, we might just give you some bonus. Actually, gifts. we'll only give you epi- extra episodes if you are naughty. <laughs> That's our. Why is it that this time of the year is like this is the only time we can say that and 
but it doesn't seem any less creepy. I don't know. <laughs> Samantha, I'd say a year round in my bedroom. <laughs> I don't need to know that information. <laughs> Not even outside of this podcast. I don't oh, need to know God. that. That was good. That was good. I'm glad uh, you thought so. Pat on the back, me. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> Um, Samantha, where can our listeners and our new listeners find us on Instagram and Facebook? At Reaper Tales Podcast. You can email us at ReaperGals at ReaperTales.com. That's R-E-A-P-E-R-G-A-L-S at ReaperTales.com. There you go. Email us to tell us (laughs) that um, I was right about Elf on the Shelf. Uh, I like to be validated. Um, or email us your pictures of your dolls in the halls that you've done. That would be great. That would make my day. Be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, all of the things, please. Yes. And thank you. That's how we get our names out there. And, um, until next time, we love you. Mean it. Bye. The Reaper will come for us all.